0: Welcome to the Movie Geeks United 35th anniversary celebration of director Sidney Lumet's Prince of the City. Prince of the City has been singled out by many critics and fellow filmmakers as Lumet's masterpiece, which in a career flooded with credits like 12 Angry Men, Network, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, and The Verdict is really saying something. The film is based on Robert Daly's book of the same name, the intricate and harrowing true story of Robert Lucci, an NYPD narcotics detective whose efforts to expose corruption within the law enforcement and criminal justice systems led to perilous consequences for both himself and his closest friends. Treat Williams was a young actor of 29 when Lumet entrusted him with the role of Danny Cello the lead character of the film who was inspired by Lucci. It's a powerhouse performance, deeply emotional, raw, paranoid, and vulnerable. Mr. Williams dominates almost every frame of this nearly three-hour opus, and he's more than ably assisted by a vast ensemble of some of the most authentic character actors in the industry. We spoke with Mr. Williams about his preparation for the film, its impact on his life and career, his experiences collaborating with Sidney Lumet, and a little bit about two other filmmakers for whom he's worked, Sergio Leone in Once Upon a Time in America and Alan Pakula in The Devil's Own.
1: What was the process by which you nabbed, you know, what is, for any actor, would be the, the role of a lifetime?
2: Well, I had done just before that, the role of a lifetime in Hair, and uh, for anybody who's in musicals. And I think that Sidney had seen something in me, in, in that he told me that you know, there was a certain energy and sense of uh, joy that, that he appreciated. And I think the big concern in his part was that I would have the, the gravitas to play the later scenes as, as Danny Cello starts to unravel and, and loses control uh, of his life, and so the, the process was basically a kind of a proving to him that I had that kind of depth to be able to do the darker uh, parts of, of, of Danny Cello, of the character, and, and it was a pretty tedious process, you know, I, I was tested, and I think for a good reason, I tested you know, quite
3: carefully by Sidney, and ultimately, he took a chance with me. His name is Detective Danny Cello. We make cases, there'll be big ones, you'll be the state star witness. He sees life as we will never see it. If I decide to do this thing, I will not give up my partners. He is Prince of the City. Detective Daniel Cello, Special Investigating Unit, Narcotics Division, Your Honor. Is it common practice to sell narcotics in the narcotics division? We're not dope deals, we're policemen. He's seen too much. Was Moscone a partner? He's a friend. He's federal level. I want him. (laughs) He knows too much. Your people are out to get you worse than anybody on our side. He said too much. In their hearts, they want to admit their guilt. That's the way cops are. That's how you got here. He's gone too far to stop. Wait a minute, I'm a cop! Come on up! Look Treat Williams is Prince of the City.
1: Lumet is one of the great American filmmakers. And mostly because he pulls out just the greatest performances from his actors. I mean, he's the classic actor's director, and I'm curious w- why he fits that mold for you and your work with him.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the great actors he had had, had come from theater. A lot of them hadn't. Mm-hmm. He was still able to get great performances out of them. But I think the thing that Sidney gave me was his building blocks of how to how, how to rehearse and, and make a film, His book, to me, is is really a Bible of how a film gets made. It's it's not rocket science. But the thing that that I loved about him was, his, uh, first of all, his enthusiasm and his love for his work every day. But, for instance, in Prince of the City, we learned our roles and and rehearsed. He actually took me to all the locations, and then we rehearsed uh, on tape with chairs and tables and had everything taped out for blocking so that everybody was comfortable. And we rehearsed for three weeks, and then at the end of that, we did run-throughs of the movie as though it were a play or Mm. a television play, which is what he came from, you know, before he when he stopped being an actor. And I I realized, and I was talking about it the other night. There's a wonderful new movie about him called uh, uh, by by Sidney Lumet, and it's it's a wonderful uh, documentary I just saw. And what I guess what he did that I never really was able to articulate until the other day is that. He removed all of the anxiety about the work that we have as film actors. Most of the time, you go on a set not knowing the other actors, not ever having seen the set, uh, being told where you should sit and stand by a director who probably doesn't know much about that in the first place. And with Sidney, when you came to set, you were comp- it was like you'd been doing a play. You know, you were completely relaxed You were completely comfortable with your fellow actors And you knew exactly what was expected of you Which made the work so pleasurable and, and comforting, you know And I think yeah. that was one of his gifts Was he just made actors so relaxed That they all they had to do was, was act
1: Well, and especially someone like you who, who came from the theater And I know you still have a great passion for the theater that must have been um, that rehearsal period. Must have worked a lot like the rehearsal period for a stage play would, in that you can you can establish kind of an emotional continuity, and you can really attach yourself to that company of actors in that process.
2: Yeah, and I don't think Sydney. Sydney always said, you know, I don't really, I don't do all this, you know, stuff about the camera. He said, I, I was, as, I was very happy to be directing television the rest of my life. I didn't discern between television and film. Sidney made some of the greatest television productions also during the heyday uh, of, of of live television. And the transition to film, interestingly, was only because he had, he had directed a play which Henry Fonda saw. Henry Fonda wanted to make his own movies and, want, and had the rights to 12 Angry Men and saw the play. And somebody said, what about Sidney Lumet? He said, oh, yeah, that guy's good. Let's get him. <laughs> and he was off and running with an extraordinary film career.
3: But I love yeah. the fact
2: that Sidney really uh, treated the work, as you know, he was a journeyman about it. You, you knew what the scene was about. You, you sort of got in there and, 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 and worked it out and figured it out and sweated until and, 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 and it was right. And then when it was right, Sidney would say very quietly, that's a print, which mm. meant that's the one I'm going to use. That's where I need you to be in a month and a half when we shoot this. And he knew and trusted his actors that they would get their motors running. And when they walked on the set, they knew exactly what was expected of them, and no time was wasted in the figuring out of it. That had all been done. And and that's what made the, these rehearsals such a joy. And, and I, I have to tell you, I have very, very seldom, if ever, uh, had the same experience that anyone works like that, and I wish everyone did. Because I think it would make movies much much better. But interestingly, Jonathan Demme was on the stage with me when we were talking about Sydney, and Jonathan said, "Oh no, that terrifies me. I I want I want to get to the set and figure it out with the actors, and I don't know what I'm going to do." And that's just as valid, you know. Uh, I, having been a stage actor. Uh, prefer Sydney's technique, but I would jump at the chance of working with Jonathan Demme also. So everyone has their own, you know, methodology, and, and I just I think Sydney's my being a stage actor and being uh, pretty straightforward about things worked very well for me.
1: This role it's, it's nearly a three-hour film. You're in nearly every frame of it, and it's incredibly uh, rich and daunting. This character, and I'm wondering. How you got into that mindset? What was that uh, process like of research and and that sort of thing?
2: Well, it was a really great time because I had Bob Lucy, who unfortunately passed Hmm. away uh, recently. And Bobby and I became very close, and I became also very close to a few uh, New York City cops. So I went out all night with these guys chasing down bad guys and... And uh some of it was heartbreaking, you know you know ha- arresting drug addicts and putting them on the sidewalk can behind their back where they're going through withdrawal was was not a pleasant thing to watch and, and heartbreaking because they were sick. you know mm-hmm. most of them weren't really criminals by nature; they were sick people and, and, and needed help and and uh they were in these drug dens and, and that they would uh, you know the, the cops would raid. Uh, but I got to know them very well and a kind of a mindset that they had. And Bob, you know, really helped me with understanding what he was going through, what he was trying to do. And as I said, Sidney and I, we, we mapped it out. I knew where I had to be. And he did say to me, I'm not going to put you in close ups for the first third of the film. You don't, don't worry that the camera's not going to see a whole lot of you. And I, I'm going to let the camera begin to get closer to you as the film progresses. And um, I, I never worried about that stuff much, but uh, it was it was an interesting, uh, uh, I think, to watch one guy for three hours, Sidney kind of focused on the other characters, and then sort of this out-of-focus guy started to get, get more and more clear as he descended uh, into uh, a kind of, uh, you know, it really is a, a classic to me, a, a classic tragedy, and that he had this great flaw in that he hubris he thought that he could control these guys from washington and that he was smarter than these guys and he wasn't he wasn't right. smarter yeah. than them at all and and it brought down his best friends
1: how do you define how a, a cop or you know
2: your cop sees
1: the world his his mode well of thinking? i think it's in
2: the you know it's it's it, it, there's a speech i have or the, the character has in the film and, and there's also uh, one of the things uh, that i learned from bob is that th- th- it wasn't as though you just all of a sudden started taking hundreds of thousand dollars from drug dealers instead of turning it in it starts with a cup of coffee and a diner it starts with resting when you're supposed to be working in a cop car and you got an all-nighter and so you pull the cop do the car over in queens or you know brighton beach and you coop what's the, the, the verb for sleeping in the car it was a free meal on occasion and it just grew it grew until the little gifts became expected, and, and, and it wasn't something that happened overnight. And and then that, that those funds were shared. It was a kind of a – and I think that ultimately uh, there's a wonderful speech, as I said, that it got to the point where when you were putting your life on the line and arresting these guys who were living in mansions and driving mercedes benzes and you could barely pay for your kids' dental work or carpet your upstairs – uh, you began to feel, the cops began to feel that they deserved this perk of taking, when they arrested these guys, of taking whatever was in in their possession, money. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the French connection it became drugs, too. But I, I think it's something that sort of snuck up. And, and in his speech, uh, uh, Bobby Lucy's character, Danny Cello, says, you know, you guys are, Go to prep school, and you're up here in your suits and ties on on, on Central Park West. And we're up in El Barrio. We're up in the jungle. And when you live with the animals, you have to be an animal. Mm. And I think that became the cops' sense of, of, you know, a justification for for their behavior. And it's not hard being up there and watching what they do uh, to understand one of the one of the cops I was out and he was chasing a guy and he, he he really hurt his leg chasing some eighteen year old kid through cellars up in up in Harlem and he just turned to me uh, you know he was sitting down he did he couldn't catch him and, and it was about four o'clock in the morning and he just looked up and he said I'm just too old for this shit what am I doing what, what the hell am I doing here and I thought yeah it's a tough job
3: where'd you go to school, Page? I went to Harvard and. Uh... Before Harvard to Andover, Before Andover to St. Bernard's? Oh, <laughs> St. Bernard's? I said two-three, that's, two, three. that's uh, little blonde boys in blazers, right? Oh, shit, Capolino. My own father can't understand the pressures on cops. But what am I supposed to get from St. Bernard's? You people in the Chase Commission, you know, you tell cops you're out to catch them taking... taking meals or taking Christmas presents. You bastards, it's... It's you guys who run the whole fucking thing! You run it! Starting with assistant DAs who plea bargain murder one down to a misdemeanor. Or lawyers wearing $400 suits who come up the cops in hallways and say, Hey, pal, this, this case doesn't mean shit. Here's $50. Here's $100. $500. $15,000! $15,000! Fuck, I mean, we know how you guys become judges. You pay 50000 and zap, you're wearing robes. You guys, you, you live in Westport or here on Central Park West. While we're up in El Barrio on 125th Street. I mean, you want us to keep everybody on the inside so you can stay on the outside.
0: That's not true. The fuck
3: it's not true? The fuck it's not true? The first thing a cop learns is he can't trust anybody but his partners. I'll tell you something right now. I sleep with my wife, but I live with my partners. You people... You people, you're just out to hurt us. You want to lay the whole fucked up system on us. But nobody cares about me but my partner. You understand that? Nobody. You See, I see what kind of man you are. And you, you know? And then I look at my partner and I see what kind of man he is. And there's just no comparison, see? It's me and him and whatever guy we catch. And we're gonna put him in jail. We're gonna lock him up and we're going to take his fucking money. Fuck him, fuck them, and fuck you! Fuck you! (laughs) You guys are winning in the end anyway. We're out there selling ourselves and our families. (sighs) These people we take from own us. I know what you guys think of us, but we're the only thing between you and the jungle.
1: The tone of the film, I mean, a, a lot of people look at uh, Lumet's work and they rightfully think, I mean, he has such a, a, a penchant for naturalism. But this is a very kind of operatic piece, I find.
2: Some directors in Hollywood that I really have great respect for who are able to sublimate their ego... And would direct the movie, and put, and not impose a sort of style uh, on on the movie. And if you look at like Sidney's work in, you would never know that the guy who directed Prince of the City, Serpico, and Dog Day Afternoon, would ever be able to, to direct Murder on the Orient Express, mm. the, mm-hmm. or or The Whiz. I mean, they're different universes. Or something as theatrical uh, as Long Day's Journey. But Sidney was really, uh, you know, uh, uh, had a great sense of, of of what was asked of him as a director, and, and he got out of his own way, I think, and, and really made the film that that, that the author intended, or, or even the, 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 the kind of wild humor and darkness of Network, uh, which is, I think, one of his one of his real most beautiful films, spectacular. Absolutely. Yeah, um, but I think that there are there are very few directors that, that William Wyler had that capacity, to, to really uh, make a film each time as though another director had made it, sort of giving himself over to the energy and, and the look of the movie, um, which really is uh, quite inspiring to me. Did you and and the and the film
1: itself have the cooperation of the, the various institutions it it puts a spotlight on while, while filming it.
2: Well, one of the most um, embarrassing moments, and just really, I wanted to crawl out of my chair. Uh, was in my apartment. We there was a French uh, uh, writer who was going to go out with us and just see the streets of New York City through the eyes of Bob Lucy. And they brought a cop in to, to uh, you know, to be sort of off-duty cop to to make sure we didn't get ourselves in trouble and that we were protected. Because Bob wasn't a cop anymore, so we're in my apartment, the four of us, and the cop looks at me and doesn't recognize Bob and says, "So what do you what do you what do you think about playing this rat? Mm. How do you feel about playing this rat who should be dead?" I said, "Well, uh, why don't you ask him? He's standing right here." Oh. Um, that was, you know, one of those moments like the end of the film where huh. uh, Bob was despised by these guys, and most of their attitude about him was that he was a rat and I'd always say to them well it's Sidney Lamette and I'm getting paid pretty well and somebody's got to do it <laughs> so I'm going to do it <laughs> I don't but, think but they was... saw the ramifications of this being any kind of a great American tragedy I think they just said why would you play a rat
1: you know but, but did Bob did Bob uh, was he uh, appreciative of, of the finished result
2: he <laughs> he he called me up and he said uh uh, it was a good tree it was good It was good I, I didn't cry that much i didn't cry so much <laughs> and i said you better talk to sydney i just did what he asked me to do i did take so i didn't cry but that uh, you know he used what i did well, um i don't think bob was as aware of 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 how much pain he was in at the time uh i think i think he was he was tormented and and um you know, I, I think he was in a horrible place because he wanted absolution and he wanted to to undo what he had done and get out of it. But right. it was like a pact with the devil. You know, once you're in, you're in. You can't get out.
1: Mm. I want to ask you about one of your co-stars in the film too, because I, I mean, this is such a sprawling film with such a large cast of such authentic uh, character actors but i think we had 160
2: years at. served in prison amongst that cast we counted once a lot yeah, of the real deal guys let me tell you <laughs> i said about 160 years total had been served by the actors in that in prisons oh goodness a lot of them had wow. been in prison a great deal and uh, and and often <laughs> 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 so well,
1: I want to ask about one of your cast members who who I didn't, don't think served any prison time, and that's uh, Jerry Orbach.
2: Ar- uh, oh, I adore Jerry. One of
1: the great New York actors.
2: And, you know, interestingly, I felt a great kinship with him because, of course, he had he had had been in wonderful Broadway musicals and was one of the great mm-hmm. musical comedy guys in New York. He was known as the king of the long runs. If he got a show, he stayed with it till it ended. He just was a a working stiff, and he was wonderful. Um, And um, I loved working with him. And I think one time, Jerry and I went out to, we were shooting up, and we went to a really good Italian restaurant for lunch and had a couple glasses of wine, and we were doing this scene where where, where, uh, we sort of promised not to give each other up and we got the giggles and Sydney got very angry but we weren't drunk or anything but we just got the giggles and we could, I just couldn't stop I just could not get through the scene finally we got it together but I loved working with him I thought he was uh and it was interesting I talked I worked for Dick Wolf recently on uh, Law and Order and, and uh, mm. Dick called me and he said you know uh, I loved that movie and I loved Jerry in it so much and and Jerry said when he hired Jerry for for the uh Law and Order he Jerry said, well, "What do you want me to do?" And Dick Wolf said, "Just do what you did in Prince of the City. That's all I need.
1: <laughs> Just be that
2: guy." Yes. Les Wolf was the name of the character. Uh, mm. But Jerry was, a, you know he was a class act, and, and it was an honor to work with him.: Have you seen the
1: film recently?
2: Yes, I saw it last year, and I, I don't think I can see it again. I really don't. It's it's very hard for me. When we did the Q and A afterwards, a guy said, "You look like you wanted to crawl out of your seat." And I said, "I did, I did. I I I have a hard time watching myself in it. Um, not because I'm not appreciative, but um, you know, there's an old story where David Lean was was was. Someone said to David Lean, "Wasn't it wonderful that you were able to get?" Uh, 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 Peter O'Toole for Lawrence of Arabia, and David Lean said, "Yeah, I wished I had him." Ten years later, he really would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched the film and I kind of think, "I wish I had a couple under my belt." Uh, but I, but I that, think, you know, I, he he wrung out of me everything he could get at the time. I'm I'm pleased. I'm not I'm not unhappy with it. I wouldn't change anything. It's, that's who I was then. Well,
1: it's an extraordinary performance, but I, I, oh, mean, I understand what you're saying, and I'm curious to know – I mean, you were a young, young actor at the time. This yes. was a very early film for you, so what do you know now that you didn't know then about, about the craft, do you
2: think? Well, I don't think I can do it in an interview, but I certainly think subtlety. And <laughs> I think uh, I think you don't have to present the audience everything. You know, I think I think some of the things I did would be more internal and, and, and a little quieter. Um, but I think you know, young actors that age are, uh, you know, they they have people have big feelings at that age. And it was a, it was a, it, listen as you said, I think you got it. It really is uh, operatic. And, you know, I think it, it was very theatrical, and I think it, it was an operatic story. Um, so I think that, that it was appropriate to the film, um, yeah. but nonetheless hard for me to watch. <laughs> what, do you think the, uh,
1: what do you think the legacy of the film is?
2: I don't know. There's a great story about Sydney. You probably have to cut this, but somebody said to Sidney. What do you want? What do you want your legacy to be? And Sydney said, "Oh, I don't give a shit. I'll be dead. What do I care?" <laughs> um, but I do. I, I, listen, I, I, Martin Scorsese said that it was Sidney Lumet's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, it will, for those who study American film, I think it will go down as one of the great uh, cop films. Hopefully, uh, along with Sidney's other films, with Al, I just was extraordinary how good Al was in uh, in Serpico and and in Dog Day. Um, but I'm hoping I'm hoping that it that it's up there. Uh, I think it is, with with certainly that period uh, and that type of film, the 70s films, which are you know kind of a stark reality and and and, and very realistic. Um, I'm very proud of it, and and I, I I think it's something's happening recently where it's having a sort of a a little bit of a second wind. People are becoming aware of it again, and and um, I'm hoping it, it you know it's up there with some of the the films that I loved coming up. You know like White Heat and and you know the Brando films and Montgomery Clift and all the stuff that mm-hmm. I loved and James mm-hmm. Dean and, and and you know I hope that. Uh, that it's 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 in that group of fifty to a hundred movies that people say that was that was really a good one. And what
1: has it meant to you, both in a, a, a kind of personal and a, and a career uh, uh, perspective?
2: Well, you know, at some point you you, you really do move on. I mean, it, interestingly, uh, I went from being a musical comedy guy to a guy that only did you know dark, serious. You know, I was a serious New York actor. All of a sudden, you are—you are your last job. So actually I actually did to work hard to sort of, uh, you know, remind people that I am really just a character actor, and I love doing comedy.
1: Um, Didn't you go directly from this to the uh, Pirates of Penzance on stage?
2: Well, I did. Uh, I did a movie called The uh, Pursuit of DB Cooper, and then I went to Pirates.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
2: and and that was fun. I mean, that was that's what I did, and and then after Pirates, went off and did. I've done, you know, three or four Broadway musicals since then. Um, working on one now, as a matter of fact, that I want to do. Um, I've been very lucky. I, I, you know, it's it's been fun. I always, even when I was young and 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 looked like I looked, I, I always considered myself a character actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think Sydney Sydney liked character actors. That he didn't really hire too many actors that were. Um,
3: he said he was sent
2: out to Hollywood to meet another actor for Prince that was a movie star at the time, who shall be nameless. And Sidney said he came back and he felt like he was meeting a starlet. You know, he said he just, he he likes New York actors who, you know, who really roll up their sleeves and go to work. Um, And you'll see that. It's, you know, the the guys that he hired, even the ones that were incredible movie stars, give, give better performances for him, like Paul Newman in The Verdict. Uh, mm-hmm. is extraordinary you know and 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 Paul yeah. sort of dug much deeper in that it seems to me than a lot of the stuff that he'd done.
1: That's one of my favorite of his films. Oh, um, God, it's good. Uh, let me if if you'll permit me I just have two more quick questions about sure. two other directors that you've worked with. Sure. Sure. Uh, one of which I mean you've you've worked on such a string of great great movies but but I I think Once Upon a Time in America is a work of art. Oh um, yeah. So your experience with Sergio Leone.
2: I loved him. I loved working with him. I mean, it was just, one of the things about working with the Italians uh, was Sergio had the, everybody in every department was an artist. If you look at that film, the the cinematography of Tonino is is, is a work of art. Even the photograph of the boys under the bridge, Mm -hmm. the Manhattan Bridge is one of the most beautiful posters I've ever seen for a film. Um, Every shot in that movie is, to me, just, a work of art, and that was a combination of Tonino's, you know, lighting and and the wardrobe and the set design. Uh, Sergio was just he was passionate about it. We'd worked on it for years and years, and um, you know we 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 did a lot of takes, and and he wanted it to be perfect, and. And then it broke his heart when they, you know, they cut it down to an hour and a half. It just broke his heart. And finally, they got the director's cut back, which is a truly a work of art. Um, yeah. But I loved being around him. I would go to his house and sit at the feet of, of the master, and he would say, hey, come listen to this music I got for the movie. And we'd go down to his screening room, and he'd, he'd play this music, and it was, it was Zamfir on the pan flute. And that was the sound of the movie, if you remember, before anybody knew that sound. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but but look at I mean the, the people that he got uh, uh, Marconi I mean just you know I was working with these geniuses in every department, and uh, just a, a great honor to be a part of it.
1: Were you aware of being placed in his in his canvas? Because I mean the movie it, it, it is. You're so right. It, it almost looks like a, a painting come to life.
2: Yeah, you know, I was. I wanted, you know, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I mean, my character—I sort of felt like he was a, uh, a, you know, a tough Irish kid who'd probably come over on the boat, you know, when he was seven or eight. So still, I, 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 I you know, had a bit of a, of a lilt left over in the leftover Irish accent, and I knew he was very different than these than these Jewish guys. Um, and and you know, I, I knew what my job was in the movie, and and Sergio, I think, was pretty pleased. Um, but it was you know and I was working with the great Robert De Niro and Bob and I weren't friends at the time and I was in awe of of being able to work with Bob and Jimmy Woods and Joey Pesci and I mean Danny Aiello was wonderful and he has a very very funny uh, uh, section that he has and Liz McGovern who was an old friend and uh, just what a cast I mean you know it's just we we screened it Um, last year there was a screening Bob and Jimmy Woods and myself and uh, a bunch of people went, and I think, and it was really a, a, a great night. It was just really great to see everybody again, and, and to, to, to look at each other and say, "Boy, were we in something good?" Yeah, and, and no, not many, no, to... They don't make those kinds of movies anymore. Not many actors can say that like we can say it—that we were in these these classics. You know, hmm? to be able to see it
1: as to be able to see it as Sergio intended it to be seen must have been really yeah.
2: emotional. Oh, it's, it's extraordinary, and Bob is just, beu- it's a beautiful performance. And even the makeup at the time, I thought mine was lousy when they, they showed some stuff that we'd shot, my aging makeup. But Bobby's makeup was just extraordinary. And, and, and uh, his, his performance as, as the middle-aged man, you know, sort of beaten by life, uh, rediscovering his past uh, in this little, little locked box, you know, it's just, it's, it's really a, a, an extraordinary film.
1: My, my very last question for you I, pr- I promise uh, that I'm crazy about this filmmaker we've done shows on him and tributes to his various works and you were in his last film and that's, that's Alan Pakula
2: ah uh, yes yes lovely lovely guy um, and that was a difficult shoot um, their script wasn't quite right so we, there were a lot of long long meetings with Brad Pitt and myself and and Alan trying to figure it out. But uh, that set was a wonderful set, too, because uh, uh, the DP, uh, uh, his name just went out of my head, and um, uh, he was Woody's was it DP it Willis? For, for so many. Gordon Willis? Huh? Gordy Willis. Gordon I Willis? brought him yeah. some of my homemade maple syrup, which made him a friend for life, on my farm in Vermont. <laughs> I was no dummy. <laughs> but Gordy had this thing that I just loved, where the set was really almost like it was Gordy Willis's set. I mean, Alan directed, but there was no talking from the crew. It was a silent set. Mm. So there was none of that noise so that the actors could concentrate before they were shooting. I loved that. Mm. I liked being in it, too. I thought I thought it turned out fine. You know, I thought it was fine once we... we and once it came out, that was... Again, there was my Irish guy again. But... Um, <laughs> it, I it, think it's it, a great... I think it's a very good Yeah, scene. I haven't it's seen funny. it in a long yeah. time. I should watch it again. But, uh... Um, I you know, Alan was uh, – I think he was a little ill, and, and you know, he was in a bit of a decline uh, energy-wise. But um, one of the most thoughtful, intelligent uh, directors I ever worked with, the thing he did with Liza Minnelli, The Sterile Cuckoo. I yes. mean, that's a beautiful little movie. He did wonderful stuff that people have kind of forgotten about.
1: And you know what movies coming back of his – is uh the parallax view. I mean I I, oh, I hear God. a lot of people talking about that now. That's and that's another goal. And isn't all movie. the presidents men, Alice? Yes, and that's isn't an industry that That's
2: forty years, yeah. Yeah. And isn't uh what's the oh you know he produced uh To Kill a Mockingbird. Did you know that? I did. He didn't yeah. He didn't uh, direct it but he produced it so am I lucky or what? What a list. <laughs> <laughs> what a list. Woody Allen, Sergio Leone, Milos Forman Sidney Lumet Alan Pakula I'm oh. a lucky guy.
1: And we're lucky to have you too. Uh, oh, to you thank YouTube you so TV. much.